Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I'm not Daryl, but uh, I do appreciate the prayer all the same. I think the Holy Spirit will uh, still work through that. So uh, just so you guys are aware, um, we are continuing our series here on Satisfied, right? So last week, Daryl spoke to us. Can you even remember what book Daryl spoke to us from? Just shout it out. What book? Close. I got that one tonight. Anybody okay, Philippians, right? Totally everybody remembered that. Got it. So everybody was paying attention last week. Daryl talked to us about Philippians, right? So Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, and Paul was teaching us something, right? So what I learned last week from Daryl, I tried to take some notes here. What I learned was that Paul was trying to teach us to be content, just like the song said, right, in every circumstance, right? And that was through his example. So can anybody remember what example he was going through? What was his circumstance, right? He was writing this letter from jail, right? He's in prison. He's in chains. Now, again, remember, he's not trying to change his circumstance so he could be satisfied. He was trying to be satisfied in the midst of his circumstance, right? Like, not writing this letter, hey, guys, come break me out. I, I'm, I'm dying over here. Like, come get me out so I can be satisfied in the Lord. No, like, I want to be satisfied in every circumstance, right? The high and the low. God is enough, right? That's, that's the main thing we want you guys to learn from this series is that God is enough, Tonight, we're going to be taking a look at another Paul letter, Paul's letters, which somebody correctly said was Ephesians. Um, and he's going to give us a different example of, uh, to this church of how uh, we should be satisfied, right? So we're going to look at the example he sets for us in this, uh, this book. But I'm going to go ahead and pray real quick, uh, and then we'll get started. So Father, just, uh, I thank you so much, just again, for the opportunity to come and speak to these students. Uh, God, these opportunities don't come uh, all the time, and I just pray that you'll continue to uh, speak through me, that, God, your word will shine through, uh, that the truths that you have for us in your word tonight will uh, just be able to be understood, uh, that the students will be able to go home and, and take some practical use from, from what you're sharing with them. So, God, I just ask all these things in your name. Amen. So, for any of you guys who know me, uh, even like a little bit, you probably assume I'm a bit of a nerd, Right? And I, I literally cannot argue with you. You're completely right. Um, I am a bit of a nerd. And two of my favorite things when I was in school uh, were English and history. So, yeah, maybe you're like a math person. I don't know. But I liked English and history, which is what makes the study of etymology so interesting to me. So etymology, that's like a big fancy word for the study of like how a word comes to be, right? The or origin of that word uh, as well as, like, it's changed through history. So, like, words have meaning, but they also change through time. So that's what etymology is. So as I was studying for tonight, like, trying to look at the word satisfied, like, what, what does that mean, right? So I went and looked it up, and it's a Latin word, and you have, it, have the two words it comes from at the top of your paper there. So uh, facere, right? So satis, facere would be the word. Facere meant to make, to make, right? And then satis means enough. So if you put those together, right, it means to make enough, satisfied. Something is made enough. It satisfied you, right? That kind of holds up with, like, what Daryl was teaching us last week, right? God is enough. If we're going to be satisfied in God, he needs to be enough. So he needs to be made enough in our life. It, it fits first, Billy, right? But with that said, let's get into tonight's scripture. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 14 through 21, okay? So just keep that in mind, right? Satisfied, satisfied to make enough. Think of that as we're going through this passage here, okay? So I'm gonna read it here. For this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Does this passage sound familiar? Have you guys maybe heard this one before? Um, it should. If, it's, if it is familiar, like, this is actually usually used as a benediction, right? Like a benediction at church. As, as they get ready to send you home in some churches, they'll, they'll take out the Bible, pull out a verse, and, you know, to him who is able to do far more abundantly, all we ask or think, to him be the power, right? So they, they send you out with, like, this, like, inspiring message. So this should be familiar to some of us, right? I know that many of you have heard or read this before, maybe even many times. And I do have a quick warning for you guys about familiar passages. Familiarity is, like, awesome. Like, I think that's great, right? But familiarity to well-known passages can be wonderful and also dangerous. Well, what do I mean by that? So in my discipleship group, I've been teaching through Hebrews, Hebrews, and we are actually in chapter 11. We just finished chapter 11, which is the hall of faith, right? So by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, this person did this. And it's like you're going through the Old Testament, and it all just seems so familiar, right? Like, I know this story. Yeah, I know what Noah did. Yeah, I know what happened to Enoch. You probably don't know what happened to Enoch. That's fine. But yeah, like, it seems familiar, right? And I tried to warn them that, listen, if, if we're going to go through this passage, don't, like, let your familiarity with this passage block off what, what God has to teach you, right? So the author of the book that we're studying, he said the same thing. He said in that book, we may become so accustomed to the words of a chapter that we lose sight of their meaning and function within the section's larger context. Right? Does that make sense to you guys? Like, oh man, I think I, I got this. I know this. I understand. I've got like a mental block now. I, I, I put on my, my blinders. I, I don't see new things. Right? So we, we run the risk of being unable to get new information when we approach a, a passage that we've studied many, many times before. Don't do that, right? We create like a bubble around the passage. Uh, like, let me see here. Like, it says that we fail to take into account like what is really meant originally. So we actually talked about that last week, right? Uh, something that has depth and nuance all of a sudden becomes a bumper sticker. You guys understand that? Like we, we take verses like Philippians 4.13. Daryl talked about this last week, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We all know this verse. But like how many of us, like Paul, in the midst of his situation of actually being in chains, would be able to say like, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, it's very easy for a basketball star who is, you know, top of his game, sinking like three-pointers every single game to be like, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what if you're forgotten and alone in a jail cell? Are you still able to say the same thing? Don't let these be bumper stickers. That can be warm and fuzzy, make you feel good. But what does the context say? What, what were the original words? Like, how were they written and what did they mean then? How can it speak to me now? So don't let your previous knowledge of scripture let you turn your brain off and block new insights. Holy Spirit wants to talk to you guys. 
Maybe last time that you read the passage, you were still like a baby and you were only ready for the milk of the passage, right? And now it's time for you to approach the passage and, and get the real meat. But you just turn to the Holy Spirit and say, no, thanks, I'm, I'm good, I got, I got it. I know what this means. With that in mind, let's move on to the meat of this passage. So as I mentioned earlier last week, Paul's letter taught us by example to be content in every circumstance. What is Paul's example to us from this passage? I believe that he's telling us that we need to pray. So that's the first uh, blank there for you guys. So he's teaching us to pray. If you want to be satisfied, you need to pray. And this whole passage is about prayer, right? It ends with amen. You, you, usually amen's like you, you start like realizing that's a prayer. But even look at the beginning, right? His, he has a whole attitude of prayer. He bows his knees to the Father. Now, I, I do want to talk to you guys a little bit about this as well, right? So prayer doesn't require any particular posture. Uh, you don't have to close your eyes, like fold your hands, like kneel down before your bed. Like you don't even have to say the words out loud, right? You can just think them. But I do want to encourage you guys to have moments in your life where you do assume different postures of prayer, right? A quick prayer while you're driving, that's awesome. Like, don't close your eyes, please. But there might be times in your life where you do need to assume a humble posture, right? Like prostrating yourself before God and saying, like, I need to kneel at your altar. Speak to him out loud, maybe, you know? There's, there's different ways to pray. Paul here is praying through writing, this is him writing down a prayer. There's different ways, but there's not a particularly right way to pray. But I do want to encourage you guys to pray frequently and with variety. Now, what do I mean by that, right? Like, what do you mean by variety? Let me ask you, how structured are your prayers? When you pray for a meal, do you just, like, have a canned prayer that you say every single time? No, no, no change at all? I don't want you to like get the wrong idea. That's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with saying the same thing every time at your meals, right? But is that the entire extent of your prayer life? God, bless this food to my body. In your name I pray, amen. Right? Like, if that's everything, I think you're missing out. I think you're missing out on the blessings that come with a truly vibrant prayer life with God. So if that's true, if that's the case, how can we follow Paul's example here, right? So I think he has a pretty vibrant prayer that he has pinned out here. So what is he teaching us? How are we to follow his example? What do we need to pray? I think we have four lessons uh, from this passage I just want to share with you guys tonight. The very first one I have here is to pray like Paul. Uh, he is asking that we be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. I'm not like coming up with anything crazy, right? I'm just literally listing out exactly what it says here. Strengthen with power through his Holy Spirit in, his inner, in the inner man. So when I was younger, and even like I do catch myself sometimes, even now, uh, in my prayer life, it, it would often be like what I would describe as selfish, right? Uh, it's all about me. Uh, and even worse, oftentimes, maybe even like almost all the time, it was pretty materialistic. So... It's all about like what God can give me, right? I don't want you guys to hear that you shouldn't pray for those kind of things. Like you should ask for God to provide for your physical needs, right? Jairo, he's the provider. Physical needs are definitely something you should pray for. But again, if that's the entire extent of it, I think you're missing out. Paul is asking for something spiritual here, right? Now the world, the world thinks that everything that exists is material. That's all there is to it, right? This whole universe, everything that can be has to be able to be sensed like through touch, taste, smell, sight, right? Like that's not, that's not what we believe, right? We're more than just matter. 
The Bible teaches us that, right? We need to be praying for something spiritual every once in a while because we're not just physical. Now, Paul here was praying that God would strengthen the inner man of the people in the church of Ephesus, right? He's not even praying for himself. He's praying for others. Now, I want you guys to see here, we are born dead in our sins, right? So we have a sin nature. We're born no spirit, right? There's your, your spirit that you have is completely and utterly dead, just completely dead. You don't have a spirit that can communicate with God, completely cut off in that way. Now, when you become a Christian, that's the part that's raised to life, right? So when you became a Christian, if you did, you did not become like Jesus like right after his resurrection, right? I don't think you're phasing through walls, like teleporting all over the place, right? Like if you are, please let me know. I'd love to uh, speak with you and, and get that power, but I don't think that's the case, right? So your body has stayed exactly the same. Your physical person is the same. What has changed? It's your spirit. Your spirit has been raised to life. You have emotions, right? Personality. None of that's determined by your physical body. Now, I'm not going to say here that, like, the spiritual has nothing to do with your body, right? Like, I do think if, you know, you're emotionally drained or something, that can have physical effects on your body, right? I'll talk about that here a little bit later, but I am trying to say, Luke, if I were to chop off your leg, you're not any less Luke than you are right now, right? It doesn't affect who you are. You've not become less you. You just have less weight, right? Maybe a hobble. But your leg is not determined, like your physical matter doesn't determine who you are. Does that make sense? So I'm not planning on doing that, just so you know. But the point remains, your body is a temporary vessel that currently contains you, but is not all you are, and without it, you do not cease to be. I want to repeat that. It's a long, long sentence here. So your body is a temporary vessel that currently contains you. It is not all you are. And without it, without your body, you do not cease to be. Now, the world doesn't believe that. So keep that in mind. And Paul understood this, right? And he wanted to make sure that he prayed for that part of him that doesn't get affected when you chop off somebody's leg. He wanted to pray that that would be strengthened, right? Right? Now, this is not a difficult task for God to achieve, right? He says, according to the riches of his glory. God doesn't have like $5 in his savings account, right? Like his, his strength is not something that he's like struggling to dole out to people. He's not handing out strength like it's our, our current supermarket shelves, right? Struggling to keep the shelves stocked. No, it, it's, it's easy for him. His strength is infinite. I do remember the old question that, like, atheists love to ask, right? So, like, what if God created, could create a rock that's too big for him to lift, right? It's a stupid question because God is infinite, like, right? Like, he can't do something that would limit his infiniteness. But, yeah, he, he's unlimited. He can give out that strength with no issues because he has riches upon riches of his glory. So our spirit, much like our body, can mature, right? So when you become a believer, you're a baby, and just like a baby needs tummy time to improve his muscles, eventually you're able to like sit up and you can start to crawl and then walk and maybe even run later. But your spirit, when you're a new Christian, is much the same, right? Do you ever work out your spirit? We have certain duties as Christians that we're supposed to perform, temptations that we need to resist, persecutions that we have to endure. 
with a weak spirit, those things are way more difficult to overcome. They can trap us, right? Paul, Paul here is urging us to strengthen our spirit so that these things won't trip us up. It's not a trivial thing to suggest to you guys, right? I'm not saying this lightly. Don't pray this lightly. God, please strengthen my inner man, right? Like, if you've ever worked out, you know that, like, soreness comes with that, right? Like, some lactic acid builds up, and you have to roll out your... I've never done that because I don't like that feeling, right? But, but working out your body produces, like, soreness. Working out your spirit can do much the same, right? He might put us through things that might not be fun. But just like your uh, body right? It's necessary work. And what it's going to produce is a Christian who's able to withstand trials that this world will throw at us. So let's pray to strengthen the spirit of our, our inner spirit, right? That God through his spirit would strengthen our inner man. And Paul goes on to say that we should pray that Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. None of what I'm talking about here tonight is going to be possible uh, if you're not a Christian. Like, just straight up, it's like a prerequisite. Like, I can't, can't give you the satisfaction that I'm talking about tonight if you haven't become a believer. Without Christ, your body is alive, but your spirit is, like I said, it's dead. It's completely dead. And the only way for your spirit to be made new is for Christ to dwell in your heart. It's like a nice concept, right? Christ dwells in my heart. Like, how nice is it that Jesus dwells in our hearts, right? Put that, put that on a postcard and send it to Grandma. She'll love it. But, like, what does that even mean? That Christ dwells in our heart. What difference does that make in our lives? The reality of that truth should be life-changing because a true, regenerate believer in Christ has become the dwelling place of God. Uh, I've shared with my discipleship group, uh, we've talked about uh, the priesthood in the Old Testament, how... Once a year, this high priest at the Day of Atonement, he would try to go into the temple, right? Behind the veil, which separated everyone from the Holy of Holies, right? The presence of God. And at this Holy of Holies, on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant, high priest would make a blood sacrifice for the sins of Israel. This was not like a laughing matter, right? They had to go through a ritual cleansing process that allowed him to go before the presence of God. And that was it's not a short process. It's intense. And if that guy, like the high priest, if he got it wrong, God would just kill him right there on the spot. Just smited dead. Boom, gone. This happened commonly enough that high priests would actually tie a belt around them with like bells. And they would go before the Holy of Holies so that if they were to die before the presence of God, nobody else would have to go in there and also die to drag their body out, right? They could just pull the rope. With that imagery in mind, that mercy seat that results in the death of so many high priests, that's what our hearts have become, right? God used to sit on his throne in the mercy seat, and to approach it was basically asking for death. God's made that dwelling place here in our hearts, right? That should be a little terrifying to each and every one of us. Like, it's really cool, it's exciting, but it's also a little terrifying, right? God, who for so long had been inaccessible, is not far now, but in our very hearts. You guys have heard it said, I even heard it tonight, uh, I think it was Jared talking about his body being the temple, right? Your body's the temple of God, right? Yeah, like jokingly, because somebody's trying to touch your body. But, <laughs> but yeah, like, it's important for you guys to keep your temples clean, right? Spiritual cleanliness, 
I'm not talking about taking a shower, you should, but spiritual cleanliness. Your body is the temple and what you're putting in your body is less important than what you're letting invade your heart. What are you letting invade your heart, right? What do you consume that's going to determine the cleanliness of your temple? Paul goes on to pray that the Christ dwell in the Ephesians' hearts through faith. And that has always and only been the uh, way that we get to know Christ, right? From the very beginning is through faith. Jesus only enters our life when we place our faith in him. So Christ dwelling in your heart is something that you need to be keenly aware of, right? Never become complacent in supernatural blessing that that is in your life. God dwelling in your heart. The Spirit helps us uh, through life, right? He helps guide us. He helps us avoid things that we shouldn't be doing. Helps us make decisions that are in line with his will. Can even comfort us, right, when we're going through like pain. He can also, it says he petitions at the right hand of the Father, right? The, The Holy Spirit groans things that we don't even have the ability to say to the Father. The Holy Spirit says those things. Some of you guys might feel alone. That no one understands what you're going through and that you're just not sure what to do or where to run for help. If you had Christ in your heart, which only happens again through faith, that reality, if you put that in perspective, it should be able to help you overcome those kinds of feelings, right? I'm not saying that if if you have those feelings, you're not a Christian, but lean into that, right? That truth, keep that in mind when you have those feelings. You have the good shepherd living inside of you, unveiled access to the mercy seat of God. Pray to be reminded of that reality. Paul goes on to pray that we know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. Does that make sense to you guys? Because it shouldn't. It's, It's kind of a paradox, right? How do you know something that surpasses knowing? It's a little confusing. But how many of you guys know that your parents love you? Right? Like, you believe your parents love you? To what extent do you know that? Do you, do you remember every time that your parents had to wake up at like 3 a.m. as you're crying your eyes out, having pooped all over yourself, right? They had to get up, go clean you, rock you back to sleep, and then go back to bed only for you to wake them up like two hours later, right? I think you guys remember that for the most part. Like that, that love that you're missing out on doesn't mean you don't know your, your parents' love but you don't know the full extent. You can't possibly even know how much your own parents love you, much less how much God loves you. It's incomparable. There are a couple of things I do want to point out about this section here, though, about knowing the love of Christ. So first, there is a condition, right? Paul is praying that we know the love of Christ, assuming that we've been rooted and grounded in love. Well, how, how, do I, how do I interpret that? Like, what does that mean? The way I picture it here is imagine that you're a plant, right? Well, where are your nutrients coming from? If you're a plant, it's probably coming from the soil, right? So what are you planted in? Like, what, what are you rooted in? What is the source that gives you life? As a Christian, we ought to find our source of life in the love that Christ has shown for us. We love because he first loved us, right? Scripture tells us that. I think too often our affection for God is a flash in the pan, an intensely hot ember that quickly fades and dies out. We have a mountaintop moment where we experience the love of Christ, right? 
but we don't allow ourselves to be planted in it, to be surrounded and receive nutrients, life from that, from that truth. It fades away and we come down from the mountain. Be rooted and grounded in love. Another thing I want to point out here is that we are not meant to know the love of Christ in a vacuum. Look at verse 18. It says here, Paul prays that we know this love with all the saints. It's a bold statement here, but I don't think you can comprehend the love of Christ on your own. Definitely not to its fullest extent. We were made to be in community with each other. This community allows us the opportunity to reflect what we've received from God, right? So it comes down to us and we reflect it outward. Not meant to have it all to ourselves. We are to love the body, the bride of Christ. This love is meant to spur us to edify the church. Now, some of you guys are maybe what I would call like sporadic church attenders, right? And at your age, that's not necessarily your fault, right? Like maybe you come when your parents can take you, right? That's, I'm, not, I'm not here to point fingers or anything, but uh, if you are not consistently with the body of Christ, regularly attending church, and I'm saying I think you guys are missing out on understanding what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. The great thing about the love of Christ is that it cannot be fully known this side of heaven. You're not going to come to a point where you're like, now I fully understand the love of Christ. Whatever greatest amount of love you've ever felt from God is but like a drop in the bucket. Now we can experience it beyond any measure here on earth, right? Like beyond anything else that we've ever experienced and it's still woefully incomplete. We need to pray constantly that God reveal his love for us, that we can understand in community with other Christians just how much he actually loves us. Paul then moves on to what I think is one of his most incredible statements, and he prays that we be filled up to all the fullness of God. Filled up to all the fullness of God. Uh, how many of you guys uh, have desires that never seem to be filled, right? Like, no matter how much money you make, how, how well you play in a game, or how tasty that last cupcake might have been, right? It, it never seems to fully satisfy, maybe for a moment. But, you know, three hours after that cupcake, you might be feeling sick, right? Like, it's not, it's not giving the same feelings. Uh, something that uh, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, said about it, uh, everybody knows Narnia, right? He did more than Narnia, but uh, this is a quote I wrote down here from him. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. There's a, such a thing as sex. And if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, then that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy that desire, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other never to mistake those blessings for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself 
the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. What, is, what a statement, right? About desires that we have. So what is he saying here? I think he's saying this. We all have desires that nothing here on earth can satisfy. The question is, are we broken creatures who desire something that can never be attained? Or are we searching in an area that's too small? Right? So C.S. Lewis would say, our desire cannot be filled here on earth, but it is something we can attain. So the pleasures of this world have uh, many things to offer, right? And we try to fill ourselves up with what are really just mere echoes, right? Shadows and mirages of what is offered by God. We're not made to be separated from God, and yet that's the condition we find ourselves in here on this earth. That's a result of sin. And you're never gonna be satisfied seeking anything else other than him. I want you guys to imagine yourselves, okay? Just, just like let your imagination wander, okay? So imagine you're in a desert, and you've been born in this desert, and all you have is a small cup. And you wander around this desert imagining to yourself that if you could just fill that cup with water, you'd be satisfied, right? So you go to all these little cactuses, uh, squeezing little drops of water. Apparently you have to slice. I don't know. Kaylee said you have to slice cactuses to get water. I don't know how it works, but you're trying to get, get water from these cactuses, and it's never enough, right? You start to get desperate and dehydrated. You start to lose your mind, and you, you fill your cup with things that aren't water, right? Maybe you start filling it with sand or beetles. Man, like, I've got to put something in there so I'll feel satisfied. But no matter what you put in there, it's never enough. And you even convince yourself eventually that you don't even need water, right? You've, you've lost your mind so much that you're not even seeking the one thing that you are supposed to be putting there originally. We're filling our cup with everything else but that which was the cup was made for. And the worst news about this whole story is that your cup has a hole in it, right? It's not just like a, a cup. It's literally a bottomless pit. You are never going to fill that cup up enough with enough sand or beetles. The amount that you need to fill is infinite. There's no amount that will bring you to a place where you, have, you can say, I've had enough. And then you come across this massive waterfall, right? Just like coming from like space. Like it doesn't look to have like a beginning or an end, right? It's not a drop of water squeezed from a cactus. It's a deluge of water which never runs out. That's what it's like to experience satisfaction in God. You've probably heard it said before, right? Like we all have like a God-sized hole in our hearts. Well, it turns out that that hole is infinitely large. There's nothing you could possibly put in that hole, right? Like a round, a round peg won't fit in a square hole or a square peg won't fit in a round. I don't know which it is. Anyways, it doesn't fit because you need something infinite and the only infinite thing is God. Now this might not seem like a big, uh, big deal, right? Like Jesus, he came into our life that we could have it more abundantly. He offers us a drink from a well that never runs dry. We sang that song earlier. We never need to thirst again. But right now, maybe you're finding some satisfaction in whatever it is you're pursuing. Maybe you're like a basketball star and things are going well. Like you're the best person on the team. People look up to you, right? It makes you feel good. In that moment of athleticism where people acknowledge you. 
Or maybe you're the smartest kid in class. You get made fun of by the jocks, but you don't care because the teachers and other smart kids respect you. You find your satisfaction in being intelligent. Or maybe you're just like this socially aware kid, and all you do is like start all these projects to help the unfortunate people, right? Like the homeless people, you're planting trees all over the city, helping the community in general. And that's what makes you feel good. None of these things are bad things. I don't think you shouldn't do them, right? I'm not asking you to stop being an athlete or stop caring about the planet. Whatever it is you want to do, you, you should do those things. But whatever your thing is that you're trying to fill your cup with, if it's not God, you're going to be dissatisfied. And maybe not even in this moment. Like I said, like currently that's a problem for future you. Right now, I'm the best-looking guy in school, and it doesn't matter because I'm feeling like people are giving me stuff that makes me feel happy. That's not going to stay true forever. Your athleticism isn't going to be true forever. My sister is a gymnast. She broke her neck. You know, she got double bounced on a trampoline in ninth grade, and all of a sudden she goes from, like, easy college scholarship that she's already been offered in ninth grade to now she doesn't have an identity. Things get taken away, like, instantaneously, Right? Things can change. I struggle with this too, guys. Um, text a couple of guys from my small group uh, to let them know that I've been struggling recently with seasonal depression. Uh, I experienced that the first time when I first went off to college. So when I was you guys' age, I thought depression was stupid. Uh, just stop being sad, right? Like, why, why are you sad? Stop being sad. I didn't understand it, right? It, it didn't make sense. And that's probably how some of you guys might even feel now. I, I was that way until I experienced it for myself. I went to New York for college and began to experience this seasonal depression. And I didn't even realize at first what it was. Um, maybe it was like a lack of sunlight or like homesickness. I don't know what it was. But ultimately, I believe it was because I was filling my cup with the wrong things. I was feeling the weight of expectations that I placed on myself, right? Like, I need to do this to be successful. Other people might, I might have perceived other people had those ex expectations as well. Yeah, Nick's gonna go off to college and do X, Y, Z. And I began to like panic, like, well, what if I don't achieve X, Y, Z? Things continued uh, for some time, even until I went to seminary. Uh, I'm pursuing an education to serve the church. And even while doing that, it kept getting worse. And it got to the point where I would drive to school, I'd park my car for class, and I would fall asleep right there in the car. I was so drained and unmotivated emotionally, just completely out. It got bad enough that my parents were concerned. They tried to call me and calls did not encourage them and so they ended up driving up to North Carolina like against my wishes like no I'm fine like please like it's okay no they drove up make sure I was all right and I just want you guys to hear from the story it's not that I was completely ignoring God right I was in the church I was doing all the right things but I wasn't placing my weight my identity my worth at least fully in Christ it was Jesus plus success, Jesus plus respect, Jesus plus acknowledgement. Because Jesus plus anything means you've missed out on Jesus. Let me say it again. This is the mantra of our entire series. God is enough. We sing that song earlier, right? Provider, Jaira, you are enough. Is that really true in our lives?
So even today, I struggle with this, right? Like, my seasonal depression literally kicked in about two days ago. I've had shortness of breath, been feeling unmotivated to do anything, my heart rate's been going crazy, felt this weight on my chest. But when those feelings come, I do know how to deal with them. I've you know, been through some therapy, I talked, and it's a, it's a multifaceted issue, right? It's not just spiritual. I also have like low vitamin D. I went and picked up some vitamin D pills. But ultimately, do you want to be filled with the fullness of God? Are you running to the Father? He's the only one who can comfort me in these times. Filled with the fullness of God, that almost seems like a heretical statement, right? Like, we would not dare say that if we didn't find it here in Scripture. How can you be filled with the fullness of God? I mean, simply put, we're not big enough to contain God, right? It's an overflow. If God is in your heart, he will be coming out at the seams, bursting forth in every conversation you have, every act of service, every time you're even hurting. Paul wants us to be satisfied by praying for these things. It starts by knowing him and then by praying. Uh, as the band comes up, um, if any of you guys don't know Jesus, if you don't know the Father, and would like to talk to somebody about how you can fill your cup with the only source that, that can fill it, please come and talk to me or Daryl or one of the other leaders in this room. We'd love to talk to you guys about that. I don't want you walking around dissatisfied with your life, feeling like there's nothing that this earth has to offer that's gonna make me feel okay. There is nothing this earth has to offer that's gonna make you feel okay. But we do know who can. I would like to tweak one thing that Daryl said last week. Uh, in the passage, it says that he's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Guys, God is not just enough. Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. He's more than enough. God is more than enough. So let's go to him in prayer now. Let's approach the Father. Put on your belts. Put on the, uh, the, the, little, the little jingle bells and hopefully uh, nobody has to pull you out because God smites you. But no, we can approach the throne with confidence. Right? Jesus died so that, so that we don't have to be that person approaching the throne. Christ is the one going to the Father with our petitions. So let's go to him now. Fathers, thank you so much uh, for speaking through me tonight. I just pray for each and every one of these students, God. Maybe some of them are in a place right now where they feel like things are going well. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for encouraging them. But maybe there's some in here tonight who just feel so lost or alone, hurting, like no one notices. God, I know you see what's going on. I know you see that God-sized hole in their heart and you are knocking at the door. Please let me come in. God, I pray that those students who are not making you everything, that are not relying on you for their satisfaction, God, that they'll just let go of the things of this world, God. They're so meaningless. You told us in Ecclesiastes through Solomon, everything is meaningless. God, please be with these students tonight. Let them seek you. Let them run to the Father. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.